Yo, what up, high and wide fam? It's Real Thelco Dave here for HW Night, and I'm joined by the Nick Saban of women's college hockey, Princeton Tigers head coach, Kara Mori. Kara, thanks for joining us. <laughs> thanks for having me. I don't think I'm quite the Nick Saban, but thank you. <laughs> by the way, nice subtle flex with your husband's uh, Lombardi trophy in the background. Thank you. <laughs> I'm proud of it. <laughs> oh, I bet you are. So, uh, so how you doing tonight? Uh, what's going on at the Maury household tonight? Um, it's really quiet at the moment. Everybody's gone to sports. Uh, my dog's sitting here staring at me, grumbling, so he might bark. But um, it's it's uh, weekends are crazy, and then through the week it gets a little bit quiet with practice. So we have a we have a few minutes before the crazy comes back. Oh, perfect. I love crazy. I love chaos. <laughs> So, so anyway, uh, as I said, the Nick Saban of uh, women's college hockey. Um, how about you just uh, start us out? Tell us about your childhood, how you rose to the stardom that you're at today. <laughs> stardom. Um, I have a, a pretty interesting story. Like I grew up in a tiny, tiny, tiny town, had a thousand people kind of in the middle of nowhere, Ontario. It's uh, the white bean capital of Canada called Hensel and in my kindergarten class white beans we grow a lot of white beans you make baked beans with those okay so you grow white beans make baked beans okay I never heard of white beans before oh yeah go ahead I'm sorry yeah no neither had I um (laughs) so there was like 11 kids in my kindergarten class and then there was 13 in grade 8 graduation 10 girls one boy tripled our boys by you know grade 8 so anyways I bet he was a player (laughs) <laughs> yeah, kissing tag was not fun. Um, I don't know. I I just because I'm from a small town, I just always played a ton of sports. And I had two older brothers. Um, so I just always tried to do whatever they were doing. And my parents let me do whatever they were doing. But um, so I ended up playing throughout my childhood in high school, like eight different sports competitively. And actually the one, there was two that stuck, I'd say the most, and it would have been ringette and field hockey. And most people in the U.S. don't even know what ringette is. Um, But back when I was young, girls didn't play hockey because that was for boys. So a couple dads created this sport called ringette for all the daughters. And it's a really, really fun game, Um, but it's on ice. Um, it, it's like a chopped off hockey stick, just like a spear and a, and a round ring. And if you ever go to like USA hockey clinics and stuff, they'll pull out these blue rings, but that's actually the sport I played. It's really fun. Uh, I don't want to get into the details, but it turns into a little bit of like lacrosse and basketball because it's like zone defense and stuff like that. But I played that until I was like 17. I went to the Canada games. I got kicked out of ring at, Oh, actually, wait, yeah, yeah. that's actually something I wrote down. Uh, intent <laughs> to injure, right? You, you were you were basically the enforcer out there going after. No, people. I, no, my coach just put threw me on and said, "Get the ring at all costs," is what I heard. And um, <laughs> at all costs, they kicked me out. And yeah. so I ended up switching to hockey that year. So I had played like a little bit on and off with my brothers, but like again, I didn't I didn't really get into hockey until. 17 and um i ended up they sent me down to london they're like you need to go to london to play and so i played in london and i i got recruited my first year and i ended up going to brown university um and that's kind of what brought me to the u.s with hockey wait so you got you got the intent to injure yeah right um, and then they told you to go play hockey. Is that because like, Hey, listen, like if you're going, if, if you're going, if you're going to hurt people, like go to a sport that where like, you can actually throw fisticuffs and, you know, just kind take of. time out. It was, it was kind of my own, dis- like I threw a really nice body check and honestly it wasn't even that dirty of a body check. It was nice. Um, and I saw my brothers do it all the time. I thought it was a clean play. And <laughs> so I said, fine, I'm going to switch to hockey. My dad always wanted me to play hockey, but again, there really wasn't any girls hockey in our area. So that's why I ended up switching and going to London. I, I like how you mentioned the you mentioned ringette. Am I saying it correctly? Ringette. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So you like I like how you mentioned that it was a bunch of girl dads that yep. basically created the sport. Like g- girl dads are the best. You see them posting their own thing, and they're like, you know what? I want my daughters to play some sport. 
I'm just going to make one. I'm going to yeah. go out here and just yeah. create this sport so my daughters can play a sport. Yeah, that's pretty much what happened. And it, it's still like, it's still played in pockets of Canada. Um, Finland was always pretty good at it, but uh, it just died away. Once women's hockey really started picking up, um, probably in the late 90s, like Ringette obviously started to tank. So um, here we are, and now there's there's barely any. There are some pockets. It makes amazing skaters because you don't have to stick handle. Your head's always up. It's like uh, it's a great kind of beginner sport to work on skills, and then a lot of girls switch over to hockey after that. I wonder if you'd see that more often at the youth level for both you know men and women. Like if it creates those basic skill lines of vision and skating, you would think that would be something that you'd want you know all players to acquire and grow at a young age. It's one of the, the, it would be a foundation for a hockey player, right? Yeah. I wish they did it like ages, like three sounds young, but most of us start skating around then that, that played in Canada. I wish they did it like three through seven. Um, because I think the puck is what the little kids really have trouble doing, like just pushing that puck around. But when you have the ring on your stick, like they, you'd be shocked at how much they fly around. Yeah, you can focus on different aspects when it's just there. Yeah, stick. but now, your your stick handling gets you know really delayed. Like I still, my hands are not my strong suit, and they never were. Just because you just you squeeze the stick really tight, you lean on it really hard because you you basically get the ring off someone by slashing the stick. So almost like a lacrosse, where you like stick check, you have to stick check down low to lift the stick and then the ring will then pop off and you can grab it. So you're really squeezing your hands and leaning on your stick. So the first few years of hockey, it, it was not pretty watching my hands, but I could skate and I could battle and I played defense. So I got away with it. You'd fit right in here at Philly. This, this, yeah. this, this is why I was campaigning for you to be the next head coach of the Flyers. I was campaigning for that. They picked a pretty good one. <laughs> oh, uh, listen. I mean, I, I don't know if Torts will ever come on my show, but that guy <laughs> is is a media uh, darling. I would, I just love his quotes. Way he talks to everybody, absolutely. But listen, so I'm, I'm actually um, working development camp next week, and I think he's gonna like show up there. So I'm maybe I'll try to meet him and see if I can put in a good word. Oh my God, you're an angel. You're a goddamn <laughs> angel. I mean, don't count on it. Who knows? He might. He might. <laughs> He might be way too busy to talk to us, but I think he's going to be there. I think probably if I was a brand new head coach, I'd want to see the young guys that are up and coming. So I think he'll make an appearance. And I, I would hope so. And like I said, I, I think he's going to be amazing. You know, it's, I was, I was just camp. I was making, you know, Karamori for coach t-shirts. That's what I was uh, maybe some year. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, he has a short shelf life. So like three years yeah. down the road, maybe like, <laughs> no, I think he's great for Philly though. They're going to love him. It reminds me of when Pronger came into town and people were like, yo, like this guy was meant to be a flyer. I feel like Twitterella <laughs> was meant to coach the flyers. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, so what were some of the other eight sports you played growing up? Like that, that's just an impressive yeah. number to me from a like, guy played two sports growing up, which is hockey and football. So, and that was difficult. So I can't imagine playing eight sports. Well, it's the system's different in Canada. Like, it, it's changing a lot and I, you definitely couldn't do it these days, but we had our school sports and then our town sports. So like I would play in high school, I would play volleyball, field hockey, and usually track and field and soccer. And then one year I played rugby for high school instead of you soccer. Rugby? Oh yeah. It was vicious. Oh, yo, That's yo. actually a funny one. Our first, so we were a brand new team because we had a exchange teacher from New Zealand. So our, our gym teachers did like this swap. So he brought, came over and he's like, we're going to learn rugby. And so we're like, great. Um, and the first game we played, it had rained the night before and we played some other team that it was their first time playing. And so it was like so much fun. It was wet. You'd like tackle, you'd have mud. It like was kind of soft and squishy. And then I swear it was like the very next game. So we had fun. We ran around and, and it hurts a little. But the next game we played like the five-time OFSA champion. So OFSA is like all of Ontario. And it was like on a cement dirt patch. And all I remember is like my code word was red. And they kept yelling out red and throwing me the ball. And I would get destroyed. And it hurt so bad. And it was like falling on concrete. And I was like, 
this is the worst, like no more. So I only played that one one year. And then, and that was when I was like in grade 12, I think. So I was already looking at going to the U.S. to play hockey. And my parents were like, maybe not rugby anymore. It looks a little <laughs> rough. So anyways, you do those for your school. And then for my towns, like I would play ringette or hockey and um, we called it fastball, but you call it softball here, which makes it sound so much lamer, but we call it fastball. So I well, we, wanted, we want it to be dainty because you guys are girls. I know, but fastball is awesome. And, and fastball in Canada is, is really cool. Men's fastball is awesome in Canada. Wait, so, all right. So I, fastball is softball and yeah. there's men's softball. So there's no, yeah. is, there, is there baseball too? Yeah, there's baseball, but men's fastball is so exciting. Interesting. Yeah, men's softball. It's it's really cool. Men's I mean, volleyball in Canada is really popular too. All right, so I only ever did like softball and volleyball, but you mentioned as like intramural stuff. Like we yeah. would make like our own t-shirts, make our own team name. Like yeah. we were like the Jokers one year and we just had like cards on our thing and then we played in a tournament. The only competitive sports I played were hockey and football, but – I like the only thing I know about men's softball leagues are like the beer leagues. Like that's like yeah. what my friends do. I didn't, I'd never heard of it being like competitive, like our fastball, like you call it. Yeah. It was really like, I don't think they have it in like you, well, we call it university back home, but college, I don't think they have it like that. But like our towns, I mean, like it's intense. They jump when they pitch. So by the time they land, Oh, and we're also in meters. Like they're so much closer to the plate and they're throwing it so fast with so much, Spin on it. I don't know if it's still a thing, but I, I know it was really popular because our coach played on the men's, on the boys fastball team. Interesting. It was really good. I mean, yeah. I loved watching it. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, I, I, listen, I'm willing to check anything out. I mean, I'm just a sports nerd kind of. So I'm willing to watch anything. Like I even like, um, like, like pro wrestling. You know what I mean? Like I have some, I have some buddies of mine that are in like indie, um, like things like, uh, promotions i guess i go yeah. watch them do it all the time it's it's crazy the things they do so i'm open to anything i will definitely check out some canadian men's fastball i'm in i, I mean i don't know if they still have it but i'm telling you when i was in high school it was big nice so you started playing hockey at 17 right yeah. that, that you said you said you ring yet for the most part um you know because girls weren't allowed to play hockey because you know they're a fascist country or whatnot but yeah, our ovaries <laughs> might fall out <laughs> exactly they were concerned for your health yeah so you started playing at 17 and then, uh, what happened when you started? How'd you end up uh, in the U S it was like my first tournament. I think this lady came up and was like, Hey, do you want to come play hockey at my school? And I was like, uh, huh? and she's like, I coach at Brown. And I was like, that's a color. I've never heard of that place. <laughs> um, and she just kept calling and she was like really energetic and passionate and kind of animated. And, and I remember like, I'm, pretty old. So back then she, she kept saying, when are you going to come see my school? And I said, I don't, I, how am I going to get there? Like I grew up in a town of a thousand. We had no money. I had, I don't think I'd ever been on an airplane. And she was like, it's in Rhode Island. I said, I have never heard of Rhode Island. Like, I don't even know what you're where is Rhode Island. <laughs> I, have no, I still have no idea. No. Um, and she mailed me a plane ticket. Like it was there was still paper plane. To, so I also didn't know what a recruiting trip was. So I thought she was just paying for me to come visit. And I got on the plane and I went and then she put me up in, in the Biltmore in Providence to start, which she obviously didn't know me. I was terrified. This is like a hotel from, I don't know, the early 1900s. And I was like, I didn't know how to eat by myself. Like I didn't know what to do. I just sat in my room <laughs> Um, I'm sure it was meant to be impressive, but then she picked me up and she brought me, she kept paying for like all my food and stuff. And I did not know this is a recruiting trip. This is normal. I was like, Whoa, like I was so blown away. And, um, I knew I had heard of Princeton actually, and she made it. So when I visited, they played Princeton and I was, they put me up in the press box, which is now all illegal, everything she did. But, um, <laughs> Brown None of this won. can happen today. None of this can happen no, today. <laughs> can't happen today. But Brown won like 14 to one or something. And I was like, oh, okay. I think I'll pick this school. But really what did it for me is when I went underneath the rink and they had a locker room and I just, I called home and I was like, mom, 
you get to leave your equipment at the rink. Like I am going here. <laughs> There's no question. I don't have to carry this to the car anymore. At all. And so basically that was got, it for me. I was like, this, this seems great. I love it. They got people that will tape your sticks and I can leave everything here. Mom, Seriously. it's amazing. And then when I got to campus and it was like exam time, I said to digit, I was like, where are the people who write my exams? And she's like, what, what are you talking about? And I said, I am in America and I'm an athlete. Like I know how this works. And she's like, <laughs> This is not that type of school. And I was like, what? <laughs> so. I did not know what I signed up for. Yeah. I was like, I thought I was going to the United States. Um, so anyways, I loved it. It was, a, I mean, best four years of my life. It was life changing. It's what made me want to do what I'm doing now. I just remember thinking, how did I end up here? I, I was literally laying on one of the greens. And you're looking at the buildings and I was like, where am I? And I was like, seriously going like, I don't really deserve to be here any more than any of my friends that sat beside me in chemistry class. Like, I just remember thinking I'm so lucky. I'm like the lucky. I am just so you know, the luckiest person ever. I just feel like I'm always very lucky. And it was so life-changing. The people I met, like, your mind opens up on these campuses when you're in discussions with people from all over the world. And I remember thinking like, I want to, I want to give this opportunity to other girls. Like this is, this is crazy. Like, I don't know how I ended up there. I still really don't except this lady called me and said, come to my school. And I said, Oh, okay. Um, so that's kind of why I love what I'm doing now because I get to make these phone calls and say, Hey, have you ever heard of Princeton university? Now they do say yes, like I'm <laughs> a little different than me, but but some they don't really know the full extent of how like life changing it is. So for me, it's so full circle, 360, and it's so rewarding that I get to give this opportunity to other young girls. That's incredible, and, and paying it forward is a big thing. It's something I'm a big fan of too. But we didn't really touch on her. But Digit Murphy was the one that called you. That was that was your college coach. She's the one that yep. brought you to Brown, brought you here kind of set you on your path. Like she's, a, she's a mentor to you, right? Like what kind of oh, impact yeah. that she had on you? She, listen, outside of my parents, did you probably be the next most influential person in my life? And, and what she did so well was she just kept getting us to ask why not? Like, as you know, we were in the late nineties, early two thousands. And, and you'd be surprised at how slow things have still come since when I played, like I look and I think, it's been, I don't want to date myself, but a while, but like, it really hasn't come far enough. And she used to just make us ask, like, why not? Why not? Why not? And we would just, you know, we're all like little feminist leaders now. And, and it's like, pay it forward is exactly what she did. She got us to like, think outside the box, push the envelope, you know, ask for, you know, what we want, what we deserve. Um, she just, I don't know. She just, she wouldn't take no for an answer. And it was never good enough just to say, well, you're women. So you go over here. That's awesome. I, I'm going to have to get, I'm going to have to get her on the show too. If she'll do it. Oh. Uh, I'll bring her on her too. Yeah. 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 Bring she you will back be entertaining. Too. I'll get both of you on here at the same time. Well, you come back for appearance number two. We'll bring digital. On. We'll have a good time <laughs> with that. Well, so, you'd be surprised. I think there's like, five or six of her players that are head coaches now in NCAA. All right. We'll do a whole round table then we'll, we'll get, we'll get eight of us on the show together. And then honestly, at that point, I probably won't have to say a word. I'll be like, all right, yeah. ready. And uh, we're live and yeah. go. <laughs> Digit will take it over. For oh, sure. absolutely. It'd be a hell of an episode, but, but anyway, so the, the, those were, those were college years though, right? People, people do crazy things in college. Uh, how was your four college years? Anything that went on? Anything you did? Do you have any story that you're willing to share right now? Did, did you uh, pledge a sorority? All right. No, did, no, no. We had some shenanigans for sure. Um, we had shenanigans for sure. But the one story that, um, so I don't know if you know the name Roger Grillo from USA Hockey, um, but he he loves to tell it actually more than I do. Um, he so was the men's coach. What? I said, so another guest. Yeah, you're going to have to bring him on. So he's like, uh, he does a lot with USA Hockey now, but he was the Brown men's coach. And back in the day, like I didn't love the way the schedule worked out. I felt like 
Uh, we always had the worst ice times. And I, I dated a guy on the hockey team, actually. And, um, you know, I would get kind of envious of how they were treated. And so basically what would happen was we had this one ice slot on a Monday, but Monday was our day off and it was the early slot. So the guys would just take it from us because it's a better slot and it's supposed to be our day off. But I wanted to go out and use our ice because as I told you earlier, I had no hands and I wanted to like go work on my skills, but they Yo, would always come out and take our ice. So I was like, tell me you took that ice rink for yourself and just told Alden to stand there. That's what happened, but it was <laughs> awful. So I got some of my teammates and they're like, Kara, it's our day off. I'm like, this is principal. We need to go out there and it's our ice. And then he, Roger, in my opinion, would have them like dressed and they would just sit on the bench and a heckle us. And again, I wasn't very good. And like, there's my boyfriend at the time, like just with his head down like this and they're all sitting there watching. And I was like, it was terrifying, embarrassing. And I was just mad because it was our ice, but, but they would just be like, come on, Kara. Cause I was friends with a lot of them. They'd be like, come on, just get off the ice. Like, let us like, look at us. We're all dressed. We're just wasting our time. <laughs> so then I was like, fine. And then the next week I did it again and he sent the Zamboni on and then I got really mad oh. and I could see him walking down the tunnel and I took a puck and I threw it and I missed his head by like inches. And it was a really dumb, the men's equipment trainer came up. He's like, Kara, what are you doing? And I was like, so mad. So I called up the president of the school and it was like back in the day, like there was literally a phone book and I didn't know. So like, I'm from Hensel. I just like went through and I was like, president Gordon Gee. And I picked up the phone and I dialed the number and I was like, I would like a meeting with the president. And his secretary was like, okay, how about 3.30 tomorrow? I said, sounds great. And I went in and I met with the president and I like said, this is the schedule we should have. They changed it like the next day, but the athletic department was furious because you don't, you don't go to the president of the school. You're supposed to go to like your coach and then the athletic director. And then they, so I got in big trouble, but in the end, well, I didn't really get in big trouble. They wanted to. And in the end, when I graduated, they gave me an award for like biggest feminist, basically. Yeah. They did. What was the, actually, what was the award? It was for like female leadership, right? Yeah. It was the Bessie Rudd award. And it was like the student who did the most to promote female athletics on campus. And I don't know that I did that much, but I think they all remembered that I went to the You president. made the biggest statement. Yeah. So. No, that that's fantastic though. Sometimes you got to rock the boat a little bit. Yeah. Um, we're really good friends. Now we laugh about it still. Um, and I'm sure like my version of it is a little skewed, right? It's through my lens. I'm sure that it wasn't quite as, as lopsided as I thought, but, um, I, I, I should have thrown a puck at him, but I, said, I, missed, I, bet, it, so. I bet if you, be, I bet if you hit him in the back of the head with that puck and the relationship might be a little different. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Be spending a night or two in the hospital over that, you know, it might be a little bit harder to, to, you know, cross that bridge. Well, I did play softball also my freshman year at Brown, so I did have a pretty decent arm, but <laughs> I don't you know. Played three sports at Brown, but you only played two. I I played three for a hot minute. Like I ended up, so it was really weird. I just love playing sports. It's like what I would do with my time all day. So well, when hockey eight. season. Eight what? sports grow eight sports growing up. Yeah, it's, it sounds like that's what you like to do. But yeah. a three sport Ivy League college athlete. But it wasn't like three at the exact same time, really. Because what happened was my freshman year, I went for hockey. So then when hockey season ended, I was like, What do you mean it just ends? So the softball team asked me to come out to softball, but then I understood what spring was on college campuses. And I was like, spring sounds more fun than softball, but then <laughs> The next fall, like the next year is when I was like, I missed field hockey so much that I, I walked on sophomore year. So it was three, but they weren't at the same time. It was two mostly through college. Wait, so what is spring like on a college campus? I'm a two-time college dropout, so I don't, I don't have a lot of experience <laughs> with that. But what is spring like on a college campus, Kara? Spring is the best. It, I think being a spring athlete's maybe the downer. Um, when you're done, a se hockey season goes from like September to April. So when it ends and you have those six weeks of spring, it's just the most fun time. Like people come on and play concerts. It's like 
I don't know, you just go to class and you hang out with friends and it's so much fun and the weather's nice finally. It's uh, it's the best time. <laughs> so any shenanigans during spring? Always. You- we always had, I mean, the spring was the best time, but we, we there's not like a ton of shenanigans, but we had this awesome um, one-man band that would come every year for spring weekend. His name is Dave Binder. And the entire school, like the frats would bring out couches and it's like, just a huge day concert. It's the most fun ever. It's so much fun that, so I married a Brown football player and at our wedding, we surprised everybody with Dave Binder. He played at our wedding. That's how much spring weekend at Brown with Dave Binder means to us. And like people saw him like hiding and they were like, is that Dave Binder? And then when he came (laughs) on, it was like the wedding of the century. It was so much fun. That's awesome. The wedding of the century. (laughs) I love it. So Anyway, so we're up through college now. Uh, after you left Brown, where to next? Um, so right after, this is kind of a sad story, but um, my, so I had played with the Canadian national team while I was at Brown. I ended up making that team. And then it was, I graduated 01 and the Olympics were 02. So it was the Olympic year and there was like 10 defense cut and I was like, like number eight, nine, 10, whatever in there, they took seven or eight on. So I was like one of the last cut from the O2 Olympics. That was going to be my plan after graduating. And I remember they said to me, like I was 22, I'd only played like six years of the sport. And they're like, defenseman peak at age 27. And I was like, 27, that is so old. Oh my God. Like I'm going to be married with babies by then, which I was. Do you you still feel 27 is old? No, I was the dumbest (laughs) young kid ever. I was so much better at 20. I was better at 30 than I was at 22. But, you know, your 22-year-old self is a dumb idiot. So um, I I had my skate that year and I went and I taught and coached at Thayer Academy outside of Boston for a year while Sean was like trying to make it in football um, and cause we were dating. And then I decided to go back to Montreal to McGill and get a master's and go back and play hockey. So I played pro hockey there and was training for the Olympics and getting my master's. And then the next year, Sean, after going to Europe three times, he actually made the Eagles. So. Oh yeah. I remember Sean. I <laughs> was like, what do you do? Like I'm at home in Canada. We're married. We're going to, like I was going to keep playing hockey, even though we were having a kid, like I said, married and having a kid, like I knew what happened. Um, but I moved to Philly with him because his p- paid a lot more. And then when they went, so it would have been 03, like it would have been 04 January. They were going to the NFC playoffs. And I went home back to Toronto to play hockey and all the wives were like, what are you doing? We're going to playoffs. I'm like, who's we like, I'm going to my own playoffs. (laughs) So I took Devin, the baby. We went back to Toronto. He went off to playoffs. They lost in the NFC championship game that year. I think I still didn't understand what football was at that point. Honestly, I'm pretty sure the year you're talking about if, I think that's the year that the Bucks beat us in the NFC Championship game. Rondé Barber picked off McNabb in the end zone and ran it back 97 yards yet. I think that far. <laughs> like, I didn't really know what football was. I remember thinking, like, it's not like it's the NHL, buddy. Like, relax. Everybody but, settled down. Settle yeah, down here, settled right? Down. It's not like it's hockey. And then he actually he actually got picked up by Pittsburgh the next year. So we were off to Pittsburgh and that's when I basically just followed him around for, I was his stay at home mom for eight years. Good for you. What is, yeah, it was a lot. And I always tried to stay involved in hockey, but like, you know, there wasn't a ton in some places. So Pittsburgh, I like helped out at Robert Morris for like a year, just like showing up on his day off, helping, And then we went to Arizona for four years and I tried to coach a little bit there. There's not a lot of hockey in Arizona either. Um, And then when he retired, it would have been like 2010. Um, We spent the whole year both at home and I was like, this isn't going to work. Like I'm going to have to get a job. (laughs) I need a break from you. I'm not going to lie. I can't take it right now. (laughs) 
Yeah, we can't all be in the house 24 <laughs> hours a day. So I said, I'm going to get a job. And he said, okay. And then the Princeton job came up. Digit actually called. She said, Princeton needs a coach. You got a call. I applied. I got it. And we moved to Princeton. And whew, we've been here for 11 years. So you mentioned being a stay-at-home mom for a decade, basically, right? Yep. So my wife's pretty much a badass. Mm-hmm. We, uh, I met her in the military. We were both in the Army when we met. Um, I've been deployed a few times. She was on her first one. Um, I have since gotten out. Um, we've been married almost a year now. She's on her second deployment now, but she's fully preparing to be a helicopter pilot to fly Blackhawks. And she quite literally calls me her housewife on a daily basis. <laughs> like every day I get in a text message. Like you're going to learn how to vacuum housewife. You're going to learn how to do the laundry correctly. Like I'm yeah. going to be busy flying these Blackhawks. I'm going to need you to handle stuff at the house. Okay. Cupcake. Yeah. It's not easy. Just say yeah, no. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So, so I, I can empathize with what you're talking about there. Yeah. And we tried to do that too. Like role reversal when, you know, I think Sean was happy to retire and finally have more time with the girls, but it's not easy. It's certainly not easy to go from like a hundred thousand fans cheering for you to me saying, that's not how you fold a t-shirt. Like it's just, <laughs> Yeah, 100%. We, the t-shirt thing is a great reference. We literally <laughs> argue about how you fold t-shirts. Yeah. And the girls one day were like, you burn the broccoli. How do you burn broccoli? Like, so yeah, it was, there was a lot of like learning curves, but you know, I started as the second, moved to the first, went to associate head. And then eventually the head coach took the Penn state job. And so they, you know, hired me as the head coach here. So I've actually, this is the only place I've, like, well, not the only place I've coached, but the only place I've really coached as my career. Well, you, you coached the, I think you coached Canada's national team. Yeah. Too. Yeah. yeah. So I, I do like coaching in other places and I actually coach all my kids at the same time, which is crazy, but, but it's not like I bounced around to a, like a lot of people start in division three and then they go up to division one and then they go to a different division one. And then I really, when I say I'm the luckiest person, like I'm the luckiest person. I got the job at Princeton and I'm still at Princeton. Well, well, listen, real recognizes real. And like, you know, you don't become the Nick Saban of women's college <laughs> hockey by accident. It's you know what I mean, when you're building a legacy like that, you know what I mean? It's not by accident, okay. <laughs> but a little bit of luck. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, so, so we're at Princeton now talk mm-hmm. about, I, we haven't talked much about it. As you said, you started out as the, the two assistant and you showed us the one. So walk us to that. Cause you were the one for a while, right? Yeah. I actually, within two weeks of getting hired, the first assistant got a head job at Brown. And so I got promoted within two weeks. So I'm lucky. (laughs) And then after like four or five years, I got promoted to associate head because once you've been a you know, the first for a while, like the other ADs will start calling for head jobs. And one of the ways to keep your assistant coaches is to give them an associate head title. Um, so I did that. And then I think I've been head coach for five years now. You think you've been a head coach? Um, COVID really is throwing me off. Like it's years versus seasons. <laughs> okay. I got I've done four seasons, but five years as head coach. Okay. All right. All right. I, and that, that, that's reasonable. That's- yeah. Remember when the Ivy League canceled us? Yeah, they canceled everything. The, yeah. The, the whole world tried to shut down for a while. Yeah. 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 But you've won, well, one, you, as a head coach, you've won one Ivy League championship and one ECAC championship, correct? Am I correct on that, on those numbers? Yeah, I think so. We've won a few Ivies. I'm not sure when. I should know this. Stuff. You were the absolute sorry. definition of I don't give a shit about awards. No, I, <laughs> like, yeah, I I know yeah, we won some championships, you know, maybe. Yeah. I don't know. But yeah, we won some stuff. Yeah, cool. Right there. 2019, I think, was the Ivy and 2020 was the ECAC. I know the ECAC won because I did not know that that Princeton had never been in the championship game before. Like, I didn't know that until we were in the game. Like, it was actually they did a a press thing right before the championship game. And they're like, so Princeton's never been in this game. And I was like, what? <laughs> never? <laughs> Ever? Yeah, nobody told me that. Hold on. I was like, wow. <laughs> Thankfully we didn't. And then we won it. So I was like, I know that. I know that happened. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
All right. So some championships for Princeton. What about uh, the kind of the national team, the Canadian national team? How's your success been there? I mean, that's, that's a really cool experience because you get to work with all different. So it's at least a decade now coaching for them. And I've done under 18, gone to world championships with them. We, we got silver the one year in Prague. I do remember that. I remember losing. Um, we you sound I like did, Peyton Manning. Actually, before you go on, Peyton Manning has a quote saying that, like, I barely remember my wins, but I hate losing so much. I remember all my losses. And, and I'm paraphrasing, but he came yeah. out saying that. Like, I hate my losses so much. I remember them all. So I barely remember the wins. So I get what you're saying with that. I mean, yeah, the winning feels great because the winning feels great because you see their faces. Like, it's, I love looking at them when they win, but like, I don't remember my feelings. I remember what it feels like when I lose. Like, you're like, oh, I let them down. When, <laughs> when they win, they win. And when we lose, I lose. Like, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, the, so, the, 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 that's a good coach mindset. It, that's, um, I, I think Andy Reid, who was the Eagles football coach for a long time, Sean played for him. Yep. Yeah. Sean played for him. Andy Reid was a he was a big guy about taking responsibility when on the losses, but praising his guys um, when they got the wins. But he would always come up to the press conference. Yep, nope, I needed a better game plan. I needed to make a better decision. Like whenever it was a loss, he always put it all on himself. And I think that's why his players. I mean, I mean, I'm sure Sean probably talked about. It. I think that's why his players liked him so much. Yeah, and would play well, for and him football was- like football coaching is like you do have way more influence, I think, than hockey. Like. I would look at Sean's playbooks like, and when I say look, I mean glance because they're this fat and how much they study. And like, there's, it's a chess game with humans. So the coaches, they have so much more impact, especially on game day. When you're coaching on game day for hockey, it's kind of like when you take the training wheels off your kid's bike, like you hope you prepared them well enough. And if they fall down, you hope they get back up. But like, you just, there's not a lot you can do except be like, you can do it. I believe in you. Like there's, you're 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 not not, involved in every action. Yeah. Yeah. You make a couple tweaks. You can help them. Like if they're feeling a lot of pressure from the four check, you can like give them some things. You can tweak your special teams, but like for the most part, like in football, you're literally like punch, counter, punch, punch, counter, punch, like reading the defense, calling out what, what you see cover two, cover two. I don't even really (laughs) know it well, but I'm just like, it's so much of the coach being involved. So I can see why he definitely would feel if I feel it when we have much less of an impact, I'm sure he felt like the game plan was an issue in football. Yeah, no, but I think, I think that's a characteristic of a good coach though. Like if that's how you feel about it, if you feel like you somehow let the team down, well, that that's kind of a role you have to fill. Like it's, it's one of the downsides of being in that position, I think. Right. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, so so the success you've had so far as the Nick Saban of women's college hockey. <laughs> yes. Like the the culture you're building, what do you think you're doing right that's building this program up? So culture culture is so important to me and I, and I always did know it kind of innately as an athlete and as a young coach. But the older I get, like it just the more I know that like everybody understands the X's and O's are like important, but really it's having the culture and having the buy in and having a place where like people want to come and do this. They want to come and fight alongside you. And and it's interesting that your military, I read a lot and it's so much like that. Like they have to want to both, they have to believe so much in what you're doing that they want to come fight alongside you and know that everyone has their back and we're all in it together. And like, I think the reason we have this success is, is first of all, like Princeton is a high achieving place. So when I, I first came, like the team was kind of mediocre. It always was kind of mediocre and I couldn't figure it out because to me, it's the best academic institution. So why would it not be the best at athletics also? I don't think they're inversely related. Like high achievers are high achievers. So they've yep. got to be drawn. High achievers are drawn to being the best at everything they do. So let's find people who want to excel both in the classroom and on ice. And let's just start demanding this. Like we are great and we are going to be great. And we're going to be known as a women's hockey powerhouse and bringing in the athletes that really buy into that. They want to, they want 
all of it. They want to win on the ice and they want to end up with like the best degree in the country. So I think what is happening and the change in the energy is just this like, like demanding and supportive environment where we're pushing them outside their comfort zone and asking them to do a lot and holding them to high standards, but super supportive in the fact that we're doing it because we know you can do it. And then when they achieve those things, they feel so proud of themselves. And that just keeps bubbling and building and building and building. No, that's, I a hundred percent agree with what you said. Like if you want a quality life and you surround yourself with quality people, like there's been, many things written about that what you want out of life, you need to bring that into your life. So mm-hmm. like cut the negativity out. So bring good people around people that want to succeed. It's going to make you want to succeed too. You know you know what I mean? So yeah. I, I think that's exactly what you're talking about. Like bringing in those quality people, they want to be successful in every aspect of their life. So whether it's athletics, academics, uh, socially, whatever it is, people want to be successful. People want to be around successful people. It's how you're supposed to do it. I think. Yeah. And at at the beginning, you're not always getting like the very top athletes at 17 coming, right? Because you're a program that's not been at the top. So it was also about developing those athletes that are just below that top one. And, and I think we did a really good job of that in the last, you know, 10 years, like really taking players that were kind of underlooked, like, you know, just under that bubble of national team and and developing their game and developing their compete level and their confidence. And then all of a sudden now they're in these programs and now people are like, oh, you you go to Princeton. And we ended up honestly like getting some of the top Canadian players um, that decided, you know, they often look at at Cornell if they want Ivy. It's close to the border. It's red and white. It's kind of weird. But we we stole a couple of those young athletes. They did super well. And then when they, they're like, oh, they go to Princeton. Maybe I should look at Princeton. And then, you know, we got Sarah Fillier because of the culture we built. And Sarah Fillier is arguably the best player in the world. And so she is going to be a junior for us. She actually should have graduated, but with COVID and the Olympic year, yeah. she had two years off. And um, now she's like the face of hockey. So people are like, when she picked Princeton, like we had been good. We went to NCAAs. We went to the tournament. Um, we had won, I think, our first of three Ivy championships in, in a bit. So um, we were starting to turn heads. But when she picked it, people were like, Princeton. And now I feel like people, it gets, it's like, oh, yeah, Princeton's a, a women's hockey place. Yeah, so you had to build that up and you've built that brand. But what was it like doing that recruiting to begin with? Like identifying players, making this. What was it like when you were trying to build it up? Like, like what was the recruitment process like? I think part of my like um, ignorance and like optimism, like I thought when I took the job, I was like, who doesn't want to go to Princeton? This is the easiest job of my life. Are you kidding? Like, this is Princeton. And so I went in with that mindset, like, this is the greatest place ever. Who doesn't want to go here? And at first people were like, no. And I was like, what? Um, but I think <laughs> also- would you say way, no? I know. <laughs> and I think that's why they started to say, oh, really? Because I'm like, why would you not want to go to Princeton? And and I feel like that kind of, like that kind my opinion of Princeton made them think about it differently. So it wasn't like the beginning wasn't so easy as I thought it would be. I really thought everyone would be like, oh. Princeton. Oh my goodness. But people are like, that sounds hard. I'm like, yeah. I'm like, but you can do hard things. Um, so anyways, it was harder at the beginning, but you learn to find kind of pockets and you learn to identify which people are going to be drawn to it. And then once you kind of find your pockets, like you can find the better players in those pockets. So it was a learning curve, but it was a big part of like recruiting. I'd say we recruited started recruiting hockey players that were also smart. Well, I feel like you have to be smart to go to Princeton. Like you can't. Yeah. Like, but I think it used to be like smart people who also played hockey. And then and they, oh, so hockey it. became the priority. I got you. I get what yeah. you're saying. Yeah. yeah. I don't know anyone's GPA when I'm recruiting them. Like I honestly, I ask that much later on down the thing. I want, I want the best hockey players that are going to fit into our culture. And if, they're the best hockey player, but they don't fit our culture. They're out. Um, but I don't look at their academics first. <laughs> I look at those after and say, okay, yes, you can do this. So, it, out, outside of hockey, I guess not outside of it, but 
you're also a big uh, proponent of developing women and female leaders. Yeah. Um, seminars, counseling, um, training sessions. Yeah. Um, tell us some about that that you're doing outside of just coaching at uh, Princeton's Women's Life Team. Like, what else are you doing to develop future female leaders of the yeah. world? I it um it really kind of took off during COVID when they canceled our season because I was trying to find ways to stay engaged, stay engaged with my players, stay engaged, you know, professionally and keep. I mean, my mind and COVID was a hard year, right? So I think that I always was passionate about motivating and developing female leaders. I just use hockey as a platform. So when I was a teacher, it was the same mission. I just was teaching biology, but I'm using, I'm using a platform to, to motivate, develop, and, you know, help create the next generation of female leaders. It's always been something, and it's something that Digit kind of just pushed through down into me. Like it, it, it just took over my mission. So I started just like deliberately doing stuff. So I'll do a lot of speaking lately. And it's not just like women, like surprisingly, I've gotten a lot of calls from like coaches sites. Like I, I just went to Ann Arbor, um, at Michigan to do a presentation for all the professional coaches and the coaches site. There was maybe five ponytails of the 700 people. So, um, it's really become like leadership development in general, but I will go to like, I I'm going to a school in August and doing like half day workshops with their high school girls um, talking about leadership. But, and even I had a professor, this one would like caught me off guard. He, he was teaching a like PhD students that were doing uh, biomedical entrepreneurs. And he's like, I want you to, I want you to give a lecture to the class. And I was like, uh, I'm the hockey coach. And he's like, no, I'm not. <laughs> I know who you are. Like, um, and he's like, what you do with your team is exactly what these guys are going to need to do when they assemble a team. And it really translates. So I talked to them about like how to lead, how to lead a group and get them going on the same page and, you know, how to not just like set up your team, but how to basically get them clicking together towards common goal. So it's taken off in a lot of ways. Oh, that's that's incredible. And I, I mean, just talking to you, I mean, I, I'm obviously a big fan. I've emphasized that I want you to get the head coaching job for the Philadelphia Flyers. But no, just talking, you, you can tell you're a natural leader and you have a lot to pass on to everybody else, which is incredible. And the fact that it's taken off that way and you are impacting those lives is awesome. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks. So we're winding down now. We're pushing up on the 50-minute mark. So near the end of my shows, I like to always give my guests a platform um, to, you know, stump for anything, they, any cause they want, emphasize, highlight, shout out, whatever they want to. So the floor is yours. Any program, whatever you want to talk about, anything that you're passionate about, it's all you right now. Go ahead. Oh, my goodness. I actually should have prepared. Well, I mean, one of the trends that I love that we're seeing that's way too late now is, is this big infusion of, of women in the men's game. I think that for forever, since I was being recruited, it was always natural that men would come over and, and be involved and coach the women's game. And, and the argument was always that, Oh, the game is just so different. It's so different. Like, a woman could never coach the men, but I was like, if it's so different, then why is it so easy for men to be coaching us the entire time? Right. And I would see it in the NBA. I actually went to school with Lindsay Gottlieb, who she coached, um, she coached in Cleveland after she was a, a college coach and went back. So it's something I'm like talking to her about her whole path. But, um, I think, you know, I think it's getting, it, we got to be careful that it's not, gimmicky and we're not doing it just to like say okay we're putting women in places they need to be qualified and they need to be making an impact um but i think seeing wickenheiser get promoted and uh, megan hunter get promoted it is time that we um have women behind the bench on the men's side and and that was weird like so when i when i said yes to flyers camp last year like i was terrified i i never let people know i'm terrified but like I was like, what if these guys don't listen to me? Like, what if they just look at me like this blonde lady? Like, why is she here? And what are the coaches going to be like? And I thought maybe I should say no. And then I was like, you can't say no. Like, you've got to do this. You've got to like be brave and go there and try it. And 
it was one of the best experiences because of how the players responded. Because at first it was like, I was a unicorn when I walked in, like they were like, what is this? And they had to put, put curtains up where there should be no curtains. They just didn't know how there was no, there was clearly no women down there. Um, but as soon as I got my skates on, had my gloves and whistle, like it was like, I was a hockey coach and they were players and they did not care. They really, and I was nervous, but they were, and then for me realizing like, these are the exact same guys I coach. They're all college age guys. They make all the same mistakes that our players are making. They need development in all the same areas. They just like are bigger, faster, stronger, but like it was so easy and so seamless. And, and then the big thing for me, and this might not even be what you were asking about, but like <laughs> when I was leaving, it was the, um, the night of the gold medal game for Canada, uh, USA for the world championships. And so I said to the guys like, Hey, who are you cheering for tonight? And like one guy said, what, what, what's on or something. And another guy turned, he's like, it's the gold medal game. And like, cause I didn't even tell them anything about it. And they were like, Canada, us. And I said, who are you cheering for? And then they would all say, and I said, fine, who's your favorite hockey player? And one guy goes, Hillary Knight. And then someone said, Kendall Coyne. And someone was like Decker. And then they were like, Poulin. And they were naming all the names. And then one guy who was shy turned and he said, uh, um, you coach Sarah Philly, don't you? And I was like, yes. And she, like she's a brand new person coming into the national program and he knew it. And so that's when I realized like we're at a place where this can happen. Wait, who is, who is the guy that turned out? I, to... I don't know. I didn't you don't know remember him. his name? Listen, listen, there was a lot of guys and they look very different with their helmets on than when they're all showered eating and then we're showered and eating. So if you put his gear on, I could probably tell you who it was. Um, but it was one of the draft, like one of their young draft picks. But um Anyways, I was so impressed and I realized like the sport is now at a place where you see the NBA, where they have respect for the women who play. And I think the NBA did that so well, like the NBA guys saying, if you don't like women's basketball, then you don't like basketball, you know, like, um, and these guys probably skate with a lot of these players in the summer or they skate with college players in the summer and they skate together and they have such respect. And so when I was coaching them, they were just like normal. Hey coach, that's all it was. And so I feel like we're at a good point now where we're starting to see women come into the game. Um, we shouldn't be used as like token figureheads, but, but meaningful interaction and, and helping out and, and opening doors. And so I think that's really cool right now. You're seeing a big flood happening. Yeah. I definitely don't think that the women uh, in hockey are used as tokens at all. I think they're intelligent. They know the game. They played the game. Absolutely. So I, I think we're absolutely at that point. I've actually wanted to put together a women of hockey episode, like a round table um, that I would love to do at some point. Um, yeah. But yeah. I, I think well, especially the most recent um, USA women's hockey team made a huge impact. Like they are still having an impact right now with the way they've been involved with the NHL and training and coaching and even refereeing all that stuff. So yeah. I mean, I agree with you a hundred percent without a doubt. Yeah. It's, it's awesome. It's, it's going to be cool to see how far it goes with, without a doubt. All right. Well, HW at night. Hi, wine fam. Thanks for ha hanging out with us. We, uh, we were graced with the present of the Nick Saban of women's college hockey, Kara Mori. I'm the real Delco Dave. Thanks for hanging out with us tonight, guys. <laughs>